would you pray with me before we continue worshiping by looking at the word? And right there in your seat, would you just ask God to do a work in your heart today? Would you ask him to give you ears to hear what he would say to you through his word? And would you ask him to help me teach? Heavenly Father, God, we come to you right now and we just acknowledge that we need you. We acknowledge that you, you alone are worthy of glory and honor and praise. God, we, we think you're valuable and precious and holy and sacred. God, we think you're kind and gracious and merciful. God, we think that you, you rule over everything and that nothing is hidden from you. And God, we also know that our hearts are frail and weak and we easily wander easily want the wrong things. And so, God, we're, we're here gathered today to say we are weak and we need you and we believe that you've given us everything we need through Jesus Christ to be able to follow you. God, we're grateful that you would send your son to die on the cross for us. We're, we're grateful that you would use your power to raise him up from the dead. And we're grateful that you would offer us salvation free of charge, just only grace and mercy. God, we're grateful for that. And so I pray that as we continue to to worship you, not just singing, but by looking at your word. God, I'm praying at this time that you would work in our midst. I'm praying that you would help me to teach. God, I need help to teach. And God, all of us, we all want to be able to hear what you would say to us through your word today. So we're praying that your spirit would work in our hearts and that we would have gentle, tender hearts that be moldable in your hands. God, we pray you would be lifted up in all this. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to be in James chapter 3. We're continuing our series in James. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 3, that would be awesome. And uh, church, I want to let you know, um, I'm really excited when we get to have baptisms. I, I hope that stirs you up in a way that wants to worship Jesus more and more and more. That you want to see your friends and coworkers, you want to see them up there. You want to be up there with them in that moment as they're standing up here and, and telling them when they've placed their trust in Jesus. I think that would be awesome I don't know if that would be awesome for you, but that would, be, that would be really awesome for me. And so I hope that every time you see a baptism here, it makes you pray for the unsaved friends that you've got in and around you in your life. I pray that it always is stirring us up to proclaim the good news. I, and I also pray that it causes you to worship. You remember the time that you placed your trust in Jesus. You remember the time that, that he saved you and that it changed your life. I want that to be an, a moment of worship for you as well. So that... I get excited when we do that. There's something else that's happened today. We will be taking communion at the end of our service. So uh, I'll walk you through that when we get to that time. But if you didn't get one of those cups, we'll have a moment at the end of the service where we'll get you some of those. But we'll be taking communion at the end as we continue to worship. So let's talk about James chapter 3. And we've been in it in the book of James. James is direct and he's, he's gritty and he's blunt. He tells us point blank what it is that we need to be doing. He doesn't, he's not deep, he's not fancy, he's just simple and raw with the straight, clear-cut truth of how we're supposed to live our lives. And that's exactly what James has been doing here. We're at the end of James chapter 3, and as I was reading this passage, I, I remembered a time when I was 18 years old. I was an 18-year-old, I was hungry for God's word, I wanted to know him and serve. Um, it was a very, very pure and simple way that I was following Jesus as an 18-year-old. I didn't, I didn't know a lot. I just knew I wanted to follow him, and I wanted to trust him and do whatever he said. And the danger was that when I got there, if you showed me a verse, I just believed you right out of the gate, and I would do whatever you said as long as you had the verse to back it up. 
Uh, I trusted my leaders. I trusted them to be wiser than I was. I, I trusted them to teach me the word faithfully. I, I trusted them to know the word and guard my doctrine. I trusted them to care for me in a certain way uh, until a moment when they didn't. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but it, there was a moment for me at 18 where I found myself working in a ministry. And I remember I show up there, I'm working there for the summer, and my first day there, they call me into the office with the big dogs. I, I was like, oh, man, I don't know what I did. Is it because my name is Fayez and they're afraid they hired a Muslim? Like, what's going on here? So I, I sit in this office, and I'm sitting across from these two guys, and they're like, Fayez, we just want to be real honest with you. I was like, great, I like honesty. Honesty is good. And they go, the only reason you are here is because we're desperate for workers. They go, well, that went, that went south real quick, right? Uh, I was like, what? what? They, they go, um, we don't know you. And uh, I, I went to a small little Christian college at the time. And they said, we, we know that Christian college is not conservative enough for us. So we're really concerned about you because you go to that college. So we're watching you all summer long. And I was like, oh, man. So I, I had this, like, nervousness right out of the gate. It rattled me that I had to perform at a certain level. Like, everything that I did, everything that I did had to be perfect and in line. And when you take that to a young guy that really wants to please you and honor you and wants to do exactly what the Bible says, every verse that you have becomes this sledgehammer on my life. And they hounded me and pounded me all summer long with verses from the Bible. They were verses that were steeped in legalism and law and duty and obligation. They, they were were immersing me in the job of trying to change people's outside and ignore the inside. And I was plunged into the strictest, most conservative form of Christianity that couldn't care less about your heart and only cared about the clothes that you wore and the things that you said and the way you looked on the outside. And I remember this moment in the middle of the summer my leaders called me into the office. I didn't know what was going on. Some guys had done something a few weeks before. They just assumed I was part of it. They called me into the office. And uh, they used their wisdom and influence and power on a naive 18-year-old to browbeat me and control me and just cause my head to spin. They actually pulled the old good cop, bad cop. I don't know if anyone's ever seen that before. I, I knew about good cop, bad cop, but I never experienced good, bad, bad cop. However you say that phrase. I never done that. I mean, literally they called me in. I'm, I don't know what's going on. I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there. I, I had some rough kids the week before. I thought it was about some of the kids that um, hadn't gotten saved that week. And they called me to the office. And the guy just started screaming at me, just yelling. His face was red. He was yelling. And I, I don't know what. I'm like, I don't, what are you talking about, man? What, what just happened? What did I do? Did I... Uh, did I, did I not clean my room good enough? Like, what are you yelling at me for right now? There was screaming that was happening. His face was red. And after however long that was, the, the other guy came in and goes, hey, hey, we, we agreed we were going to do this together. Just calm down. And then he buddied up next to me and started asking me these questions. I'm like, I don't know what's happening, man. Listen, it, it was in that moment, not right away, but months and months later, as I was trying to unpack what that summer did to me, I, I learned a lesson I learned the lesson that while wisdom may look the same from the outside, not all wisdom is good. Not, not all leadership and influence is leveraged for the kingdom of a God in a way that is good and helpful and wholesome. There's, 
There's some people that have wisdom and influence and leadership, but they're leveraging it for all the wrong reasons. And James is going to talk about that today. Today, James is talking about what it looks like to have real, true wisdom and understanding. What does it look like for people who are in the church and people who are leading the church to have real wisdom? Because not all wisdom is created equal. So James is going to help us with that, and I think it's an an awesome conversation that he has. And as we jump into this, whether you're a leader or a church member or someone considering the church, we all need to consider the things that James is going to make us ask ourselves, because we all think we're somewhat wise, right? Like, you don't think you're a complete bumbling idiot. Like, you make decisions, you you try to do what's best. You're not on purpose doing dumb things. Uh, If you are... I don't even know how to help you right now, but, but the reality is we all think we have some wisdom, and James wants to drive to a heart issue that is important for us to recognize in ourselves and in our leaders and in the church. So would you look at James chapter 3, verse 13? Here's what he says. He starts off, he just finished this long conversation about the tongue, and he says, uh, who is wise and understanding among you? Listen, I need to talk to the people among you who think they're wise, who think they have understanding. These are the people that I want to talk to. Where am I? He's saying, who are my people who are leading right now? Who, who are my people that think they have insight, that they know how things should operate? They think they should have a seat at the table for leadership. Who, who are the people who are wise and understanding among you? I need you to step forward. I need you to stand up. I'm going to have a little conversation for you. I'm going to help you walk through a, an evaluation to determine if you are really, really wise. That's what James is doing here. So, so all the people who think, okay, I'm supposed to be in leadership, or I think I have an idea of how things are supposed to be, or I'm supposed to lead my family, or lead at work, or whatever I'm supposed to do. I need wisdom. He said, I'm going to help you understand what real wisdom is supposed to look like. And he jumps to this thing right there in the middle, verse 13. How does James do his evaluation? He, he doesn't have a list of tough questions. He doesn't say, listen, i got a trick question for you. If you can answer it, then I know you're wise. Doesn't have a scenario where he said, okay, so say someone comes to you and they ask this question and trying to see if you have wisdom on how to work through your problems. He, he doesn't give them a theological questionnaire. He doesn't ask for their pedigree or their background. Doesn't ask about their business experience. The thing that he lays out right out of the gate of what wisdom should look like, how you know if something is really good wisdom, is this, verse 13. It says, by his good conduct, his good living, his good way of life, let him show his works, and he uses this phrase, in the meekness of wisdom. So James is saying, listen, if you think you're wise, if you, if you have leadership, if you have any kind of influence, if you want to have wisdom, if you want to submit to the right wisdom, the thing that you need to know as you look at this is the way you know if wisdom is good wisdom or not is you look at the fruit of that person's life. And the fruit that James specifically says is this. He says, listen, you're supposed to actually live a really, really good life. He doesn't say a successful life. He doesn't say a rich life. He doesn't say your business is blowing it through the roof and it's amazing. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say do people like you. His test for whether or not your wisdom is the fruit of your life. There's another phrase there that he demonstrates that fruit in the meekness of wisdom. The humility of of wisdom, that, that real wisdom, if you have real wisdom that's solid and true, it doesn't make you an arrogant, pompous jerk. It makes you meek and humble. It doesn't make you the center of the universe. It makes you a servant to the center of the universe. Real wisdom 
produces a solid, good life, and it makes you humble and meek. Man, I start thinking about that, and I think about what does that look like with the church and with leadership and in our lives? What does it look like for people who desire to lead? Because James is not saying it's wrong to have a desire to be a leader. Paul would say in 1 Timothy chapter 3, whoever desires the office of an elder desires a good thing. It's a good thing for you to want that position. That's, that's a good position that God honors. It's, it's not a bad thing to want to lead. But there's something else at the root of it. Where is it that wisdom and the desire to lead and the viewpoint that you might have wisdom, where does that go awry? Because the reality is God does give people wisdom. There are people in this room and in this body that we relate to, and God has given them special wisdom. God's given them understanding. It's, it's not a sin to say that God has given people wisdom. It's not a sin for you to recognize that God may have given you wisdom. But, but the question is, how do we know if it's God-given or it's from something else? How do we know if it's good wisdom that we should follow? Well, it creates this fruit and it causes meekness. But, but James is going to make us ask a couple other questions. Look, look at how he unpacks the dark side of what happens if the wisdom is off. Verse 14, he, he goes after the heart. He says this, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, I love the fact that he goes here. He, he goes to what's happening on the inside, the motivation of the heart. James is not saying, listen, if you have wisdom, like, and someone might, someone might do this. They might say, listen, I, I think I've got wisdom. I'm looking at my life. Look at all the things that I can accomplish. Look at how excellent I can do things. Look at the leadership skills that I have. Look at what I do in the business world. Look at how well my family is organized. Someone can say all of that stuff, and it looks very wise from the outside. But James is saying, listen, there's a fruit, but there's something underneath the fruit that's motivating the heart of someone who's leading or has wisdom. There's something underneath that. There's a heart behind it that I need you to ask yourself. His question is, do you have selfish ambition or do you have bitter jealousy? Let me unpack those two words for you. Bitter jealousy means bitter jealousy. I'm just kidding. I, just, I don't even know why I bother doing that stuff to y'all all the time. The, the phrase bitter jealousy is actually pretty interesting. It can have two possible meanings there. One means that you, you have this, obviously, jealousy with the word. You have this desire to have something that someone else have, has. You probably look at them and you see the position and the influence and the success they have. And there's something in your heart that wants that. And you want it. Not because it's God-honoring, because you want what they have. There's this, this jealousy deep inside your heart, and it's, it's bitter, and it's making you frustrated and aggravated. You would look at other people that they might be serving in the church as deacons or elders, and you're like, man, I wish I could do that. And you're, you're not just jealous of the position. You've got this jealousy of that person. You want it for yourself. Listen, it happens in churches all the time. Pastors become jealous of other pastors Churches become jealous of other churches and they get this jealousy. Why do you have that and I don't have it? I wish I had that. And there's this jealousy that can cause division among the people of God and among the churches of God. But the other way, phrase that, might, that word might be translated is, isn't just bitter jealousy. It might mean bitter or biting zeal. That word jealousy can also be translated zeal. This means you're really passionate about the truth. You, you feel like you've got this wisdom and you know how things should be. And that wisdom is creating this arrogance and this biting harshness in you. 
this can, this can be seen in what I would normally call uh, the discernment bloggers. I don't know if y'all have seen any of that. It's online all over the place. People are on Twitter all the time, and they, they are literally critiquing everyone who's not, like, in their camp just like them. They, they write these long blog articles about everything they do, and they say how it's wrong and how it's stupid, and they get very rigid, and they get very arrogant, and they get very narrow, and they get very biting. So this word can either mean you think you're wise, but inside you've got this motivation that's either deeply jealous or it's this biting zeal. It's not zeal in a good way like what Jesus had. It's zeal in a harsh way that the Pharisees had. It's hypercritical and mean and destructive. And every time you taste it, it feels like it might be true, but there's a sting with it that isn't the sting of grace, love, and mercy. It's the sting of arrogance and pride. Listen, the second word is not just uh, bitter jealousy. It's selfish ambition. The word selfish ambition is used uh, mainly to, about self-seeking politicians who are pursuing office using unfair tactics. This is the, the political maneuvering of a person. That What they've got is they've got this desire for position. They've got this desire for power. And they're going to go in. They're going to work the room. They're going to suck up to the people they need to suck up to. They're going to put the image on they've got to put on so they can get the position and the power they want. And, and what James is saying is, listen, if you've got people in your church who are wise, but what's happening in their heart is this motivation, this motivation about they want a position for themselves. It's about ambition. The thing that's happening in their heart is this jealousy and this biting zeal. If that's what's happening in your wisdom, if the thing that's happening in your wisdom is it's all about you hitting the next step and the next level, if that's what your wisdom is leveraged for, then you might not have the type of wisdom that you think you have. Because that type of wisdom is going to gather people and, div and divide them. It's going to party off people and circle up. It's going to stir up gossip because it helps their position. It's going to hunt down people on the, the fringes and try to get them to their cause. It's going to do whatever it takes for them to get position, and none of it is going to be about doing what's best for the kingdom and for the name of Jesus. It's all about them. As a matter of fact, James goes on to say some other things about this type of wisdom. He, he says this at the end of verse 14. He says, if that's you if, if you, if what's going on in your heart is jealousy and ambition... Do not boast and be false to the truth. He says this, can we just stop playing games? Don't talk about your wisdom. Don't sit there and pretend like you really want to do what's right. That's not at all what James says is godly wisdom. He says, Look, can we stop playing games here? Just be honest. This is exactly the track that James takes. James chapter 1, he goes, can we just be honest? You need to be a doer of the word. Can, can we just be honest? Real religion cares for the poor. Can, can we just be honest? Real religion bridles the tongue. And he says this, can we just be honest? Real wisdom isn't about you. James just says, let's just stop playing games. He's bold, man. i got to be honest. James drops bows on people. He's a rough pastor. I like it. Anyways, Verse 15, he has something even harder to say about this type of wisdom. Verse 15, he says this, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. This isn't from God. You're not God's gift to the church. If that's your motivation that's going on in you, you, you aren't a gift to the church from the Savior. You're not a help to the ministry that God is trying to do. Your, 
Your, your wisdom is coming from somewhere else. And he describes it, verse 15, doesn't come from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual. This one's a doozy, demonic. Listen, what he just said is that if you're a leader or if you've got wisdom and you are leveraging your wisdom out of jealousy or ambition, you aren't serving God, you're serving the devil. Dude's fiery. It's fiery. That's satanic. You're going to cause division. You're going to stir up gossip. You're not helping anybody except for Satan and his plan for the church and the ministry and the people of God. Man, it's, it's shocking how blunt James is. And here's what's shocking to me the most. What's shocking to me the most is how much we tolerate this in the church. We, we almost want it in our pastors. We, we, we want our pastors to have a little ambition to them. We want them to be able to walk in the room. We want everyone, they want, we want them to have that desire to be looked at. Like have, you, have you noticed that? Like, there's something in you that, like, if my pastor's a big deal, I almost get to brag that he's a big deal. Did y'all, did y'all see that? Seen that? Because, like, this thing where we got to be really, really careful that we don't try to stir up in our leaders ambition and jealousy. We don't want self seeking wisdom that figures out ways to protect itself and advance itself and proclaim itself. That is not the wisdom of God. That is the wisdom that Satan and his demons used against God and his people. That's what they did. For Satan and his demons, it was not enough for it to be about God. They wanted it to be about them. They had ambition to go after God's position. They had jealousy of the power and glory of God, and they went after it, and they leveraged and manipulated Adam and Eve and all of humanity ever since They could get more people added to their following to get people attracted to them, even if it destroyed the people they were going after. That is exactly exactly what happens if wisdom is leveraged for yourself. It's a shocking thing. And then he describes what's going to happen. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. He's saying, listen, when this happens... if this type of stuff is happening, if this is the motivation, there will. It's going to come out eventually. There's going to be disorder and chaos. There's going to be all sorts of, he uses this phrase, vile practice. There's going to be really bad things that you justify doing for your cause. It's, it's a, it, it really is a, a, a kick to the face and you think about what this looks like. What it, here's what it looks like. When, when someone is in a position of leadership and and they have this type of wisdom that they're leveraging for themselves. Here's what I believe that means it looks like. It means that they're constantly thinking of ways to protect their status and protect their image and protect the way you view them. They're constantly looking for ways to use and manipulate people to get them to help them seem better to those around them. You become a pawn in their game instead of a person they're supposed to care for. When this kind of happens, when this leader gets challenged, they're going to respond with circling the wagons and self-protection. They're going to respond in ways that justify doing all sorts of awful things to people who disagree with them. That's what wisdom looks like when it's leveraged for the self. That's what wisdom looks like if you start leveraging this type of wisdom for self 
protection and preservation in your marriage and in your relationships and at your work. That's what it looks like at the church. There is a wisdom that will make you stronger. There is a wisdom that will give you more influence. There is a wisdom that will turn you into a tool of the enemy instead of a tool of Jesus the Savior. When that wisdom gets unleashed, especially in the church, it causes harm and division and unruliness and disturbances and all sorts of mean and vile practices. So here's the question that I'm asking. I, mean, I don't want that wisdom in the church, right? Church, we don't, we don't want that. That's not the wisdom that we want. There is another wisdom that's from God. And here's how I think it's very different. James is going to lay it out. The wisdom that's from the devil is self-centered and self-sinking. The wisdom that's from God doesn't care about your glory. It cares about his glory. It doesn't care about your reputation and your fame. It cares about his reputation and his fame. It doesn't care about self-preservation. It cares about loving and doing what's the most, the thing that's best and what's most loving for the people sitting across the table from you. Wisdom from God is a servant wisdom. Wisdom from God is a self-sacrificing wisdom. Wisdom from God is a loving wisdom. Wisdom from God is about lifting up him and making him great and making yourself less. So how does James describe this wisdom from God? Look at what he says in verse 17. Because this is the wisdom we want in the church. What he re says right here, I want you to, to hear what he says. He says this, but wisdom from above is first pure. I'm going to read all these and we'll go back and explain it. So the wisdom from above is first pure. Then it's peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and sincere. Listen, this, this is great. It says, that first of all, primarily that wisdom from God is pure. It's, it's holy. It's, it's set apart. It, it's this primary trait of all wisdom is that um, it's the word is used of people who want to be pure as they approach God. It's, it's good and holy and pure and right and innocent. It is coming from a pure heart with good motivations. The primary thing about godly wisdom is that it is pure. But then he gives these other lists that all follow out from underneath that. It's peaceable. This person wants to have peace. They do whatever they can to maintain peace if it's possible without compromising the truth or the the, the word of God. They're saying, listen, I'm not going to compromise on the truth, but I'm going to do whatever it takes in these areas so that we can have peace, so we can be together in harmony. It's peace-seeking. It's not political pacifying. There's a difference. It's not trying to pacify all the parties in the room. It's trying to get real, true peace with the people that we're unified and together. It's gentle. It's kind. It's not easily provoked. There's, there's this... This softness to the wisdom. It's not a harshness. It's not biting. But there's gentleness to it. It's open to reason. That word has the idea that they're willing to listen to the other side. They're not listening, waiting for you to top, stop talking and get their five points in or get their leverage in. They're actually willing to sit down and consider what you're saying. Now, this, is, this idea is not that they're open to everything that comes their way. That they're open to change their mind if the thing they're hearing is actually more in line with the word of God and the gospel of Jesus. It's open to reason. It's full of mercy and good fruits. They are concerned. 
They're almost, they're full of these fruits. It's always going on. I'm concerned about people who need mercy. I want to give mercy. I want to give mercy. I want to give mercy. I'm, I'm concerned for the outcast and the poor and the people who need mercy and the people who need a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth chance. This type of wisdom is constantly concerned with showing mercy to people. And it's full of good fruits. It's constantly not just concerned about the people who need mercy. It's constantly doing good works. And I would suggest you read James chapter 1 and 2 for examples of those good works. I believe most of those are the way we treat the poor and the suffering and the outsider. It says this, they're impartial. Wisdom from God is impartial. It doesn't play favorites. It doesn't play the good old boy club. It, It doesn't say, this is my party and I'm sticking with them no matter what. It's impartial. Real wisdom from God is not meant to be divisive and gather partisan people on their side. It's not that. It's an unwavering commitment to do what is right, regardless of who's sitting next to them or across from them. It's also sincere. It's real and authentic. It's it's the genuine article. It's not hypocritical. Listen, church, here's what I think this means for us. This is the type of wisdom that we want. Let me say say it this way. This is the type of wisdom that Jesus wants in his church. This is the type of wisdom he wants you and I to have when it comes not only to leadership, but to all the relationships that we have. He wants us to have wisdom that's not about you and your position and your preference and your power plays. He wants us to have wisdom that's about his name and his greatness and his gospel. He wants us to have wisdom that's about gentleness and love and mercy. He wants us to have wisdom that causes more good good fruits. He wants us to have wisdom that causes peace and not war. He wants us to have wisdom that causes gospel unity and not divisions among us. That's the wisdom that Jesus wants for us. That's what he wants us to have. And I want you to see the difference in the fruit. The fruit of satanic wisdom or devilish wisdom or selfish wisdom is all sorts of disorder and disruptions and every vile practice. But look at verse 18. What's the fruit of godly wisdom? It says this, a harvest of righteousness. Not just a little. There's a harvest of righteousness. There's a harvest of good works and and rightness. And and they're going to reap that because it's sown in peace by those who make peace. Here's what I think he's saying. He's saying godly wisdom is causing peace. And they're going out and they're sowing all this peace and this gospel and these good works. They're sowing all that godly wisdom that shows gentleness and patience and mercy. They're sowing it and the result is a harvest that is reaped of righteousness. So I'm asking this question me. Here's the question that I'm asking. I began to ask myself this question. Are we missing a harvest of righteousness in the church because we've tolerated a form of wisdom that isn't from God? Are the churches in the United States missing this harvest because we've gone after a different type of wisdom? We've gone after a self-seeking, power play, control, manipulation, devilish type of wisdom. Instead of a gentle, loving, humble, good works filled, gospel centered wisdom. Are we suffering and lacking a, 
a harvest of righteousness and of good works because we're self-centered and it's all about us? What would happen if we became a people Then we started dealing with the difficulties of relationship in the church? We'll just go there, right? What does it look like when we get difficulties in relationship in the church that we have this type of godly wisdom that says, "They, they hurt me, but I want peace. They disagree with me. We disagree. I'm willing to listen and consider it. And if they're right, I'm going to change my mind and repent. But what does it look like to have leaders who are not always right? What does it look like to be in relationship and in your class when you see the word and you realize your life is off and disobedient to that or your viewpoint is off? You want to say, I repent and I change to submit to the word. What does it look like to have a church and a people that couldn't care less about their own preferences and all that we care about is what makes him great, what honors and glorifies him, and what helps me love the people next to me? What does that look like in a church? As opposed to a church that are consumers. It's about me and what I want and my preferences. It lines up with my desires. I don't care what God wants and I definitely don't care what my neighbor wants. Man, this is a powerful paragraph for us in God's word. I think the American church, if I'm really honest, has lost her way big time in this. And church, it's not too late for us. We can be a people that hit this type of godly wisdom. Let me give you one thing that was standing out to me as I was considering that. I began to think about the life of Jesus. And I want you to know that I believe that Jesus showed this exact type of wisdom perfectly when he lived here on earth. Just think about it for a moment. We were his enemies and in rebellion against him. We were stubborn, refusing to do it his way. Life was all about us, and we did not want to do things his way or for his name's sake. And he had every right to drop an eternal hammer of judgment upon every single one of us. And instead of doing that, he used wisdom, God's wisdom, to come to earth to pursue us. And when he was on earth, how did he spend his life? He spent in humility. He he was off in the unknown places of Galilee with, with a mom and a dad that were probably living in poverty. He came unknown and insignificant. And there are moments where he talks about how he didn't even have a place to lay his head. We're not even sure he might have been homeless. And when he traveled around to spread the goodness of of the gospel of God, how did he respond? He didn't go after the rich and the powerful and the strong. He didn't go after political movements. He showed the same type of kindness and mercy to the rich and to the poor. He showed the same love to the Pharisee and the prostitute. He showed the same love to the kids and to the lepers and to the young people, to the old people. He came for every man, woman, and child. He showed every single one of them mercy and he, invited every, and he invited every single one of them into a relationship. And he was gentle and kind and patient. And he still spoke the truth with boldness. Listen, Jesus showed this type of wisdom perfectly. And when he was finally attacked at the end, when he was reviled, he did not revile back. And he took everything that we threw at him, every, every act of disrespect, Every cursing, every spitting in his face, every smack, he took every bit of it all the way to the cross. And when he had a chance to wipe them all out and ask God to 
taken back. He took it all the way to the end, to death. Man, listen, if God didn't have this type of wisdom, you and I would be in an awful spot. This is the wisdom that is from God. It's loving, it's gentle, it's merciful, it's humble, it seeks peace and relationship. That is the gospel of Jesus. And church, I want to call us to this today. I want to call us to ask God to give us this type of wisdom and this type of heart and this type of motivation that seeks to connect people to Jesus and connect us to one another for his name's sake. And I believe he'll do that in our midst. I believe there'll be a harvest of righteousness because that's what God said would happen. That's what I want for us. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Right now, I want to guide us in a time of response. I want you to ask yourself this question. What motivates you? Is the wisdom that you try to leverage, is it motivated by ambition and jealousy? Or is it motivated by purity, peace, and gentleness? It's reasonable. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial. It's sincere. What type of motivation is happening in you? If God is convicting you of the first one, I we just call you to repent. He's quick to forgive. If you feel like you're lacking wisdom, I would just encourage you, would you call out to him right now and say, God, I want, I want wisdom from you. I want this type of wisdom. Work in my heart and change me. Give me the wisdom that I need to be exactly like what we read in James chapter 3. Listen, the other thing I would ask, and this one's selfish, but I would ask, would you pray for me and the other leaders here at the church? Would you pray that we would have the godly wisdom? And not just that we have it today, but that we would keep it tomorrow and the day after that and over and over and over again. We need it. Also right there in your seat, would you take a moment, would you... Worship Jesus for having this type of wisdom. Some of you may be here today and you've never placed your trust in Jesus and you heard the good news. You saw the baptism of someone who's placed their trust in Jesus and you heard the good news that God pursued us while we were enemies and that he sent his son to die on the cross and he he paid the price for our sin, the full penalty, and he offers us to be clean. And he, he came back to life three days later, and he just tells us, if you will simply repent of your sin and believe in the work of Jesus and ask him to save you, you will be saved. If, if you've never done that, if God is calling and stirring you in your heart, I want to encourage you right there in your seat. Would you just please right there ask him to save you?
moment, I'm going to pray. And we're going to we're going to follow continuing worshiping and communion. But if you need to speak to someone, we will be available after the service. We'll have pastors and decision counselors down front. If there's anything God is doing in your heart, we would love to talk with you through that and help connect you to, to this awesome and good Savior. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, um, God, we are grateful that you have a wisdom that is pure and peaceful and gentle and merciful. God, well, we are grateful that that's the kind of wisdom that you have. And God, we ask, we ask that you would give us that type of wisdom. God, we pray that you would make us as a people have wisdom that, that has that type that is loving to other people and is all about you. God, protect us from the devilish wisdom. I pray we wouldn't be self-centered, that we wouldn't be ambitious and jealous. God, protect us from being those type of people. We pray that you would be honored in this, and I pray it all in Jesus' name.